Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. As a measure of review, if you have a vision, consider yourself a young person. If you have dreams, welcome to the seasoned saint category. According to Acts chapter 2, young men see visions, older men see have dreams. So if you're dreaming, God bless you. Welcome to older age. But as a measure of review... The first wave of Jews have returned from the 70-year exile, about 50,000 of them. God had disciplined the nation of Israel for the worship of idols. And this 70-year exile seems to have cured them of it, for we don't see even in Israel today any form of idolatry. Their job in going back was to build a temple as a part of God's plan for the nation, and for the return of the Jewish Messiah. We'll get to that in just a minute. Same way each of us. Each of us have a job to do. That's why we've been given a gift. It's why we've been given a talent or even given our treasure to use your gift, your talent, your treasure for the kingdom of God. He's actually placed you where you are in life because you are part of God's plan. So over the course of this study and the visions that we will study You'll realize you're a part of God's plan. He's in control of the plan, no matter what's going on. He's building his kingdom his way, and he'll use you despite you when we confess our sin because he's a redeeming God. You see, the people, they were more concerned about building their own houses than they were the temple of God. In fact, they had this excuse It's not time to build the temple of God. So Haggai came on the scene after 16 years of them holding off on building the temple. 16 years, he comes in and he says, you need to start building the temple of God. What is this excuse? It's not time. You've built your houses. It's time for your houses. He says, get busy about what God has called you to do. We would call this a word of exhortation. But because God knows his people, and sometimes we need a little kick in the pants, and sometimes we need a hug. Well, Zechariah comes along two months later, after Haggai preaches his first sermon, this young man, Zechariah, comes along to give the hug, to give the encouragement for the children of Israel the exiles, to press on in what God has called them to do. So Zechariah gets eight visions. And these visions, they reveal God's prophetic plan for the nation of Israel, and they also reveal his heart for them. After all, they are his chosen people. They are the apple of his eye, and they forever will be the apple of his eye. But before we dig in and do a brief review, I want to give us some prophetic pointers. Maybe you'll write them down. Prophecy itself has a partial and a completed fulfillment. God seems to have a plan whereby prophecy has a partial 
and a completed fulfillment. Let me give you an example. It's Malachi chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. It's Malachi chapter 4. And in Malachi chapter 4, the Bible says that Elijah must come first before the coming of the Lord. So the disciples in Matthew 17, they asked Jesus, but wait a second, if you're the Messiah, the prophets say that Elijah must come first. And Jesus responds and says, Elijah has come. And look what they did to him. And they realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. The spirit of Elijah came before the first coming of Jesus. That's the partial fulfillment. But Malachi chapter 4 will be completed in full when Elijah comes standing on the southern steps preaching the gospel for the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. And if you don't believe in him or you come against him, the Bible says fire will come out of his mouth. (sighs) I would love that job. Can you imagine? You don't agree with me? (laughs) Just think of your boss. You don't want to believe in Jesus? Great. (laughs) I'm kidding. Secondly, a little prophetic pointer. Think of the person you don't like, right? Like, oh, you don't believe in Jesus. (laughs) I'm kidding. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. The prophets, pointer number two, prophets saw mountain peaks of history, not the valleys. So when we're reading scripture, one verse, one verse, and two phrases in a verse could be hundreds of years apart. One verse could be hundreds of years apart within the verse. And we're going to see that in Zechariah. So let's dig in now. First vision, Zechariah chapter 1, just a measure of review. Let's go ahead and prepare our hearts for this first vision. Because the first vision, remember, it introduces the second and the third vision. And so I want us to just review the first and the second to be able to understand the third. On the 24th day, Zechariah 1.7, on the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. I saw by night, and behold, now remember the visions he received, all eight were in one night. And I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees. Remember, we referred to that as the lowly state of Israel, in the hollow which would represent the Kidron Valley. And behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white, and If I could make a sanctified guess, I would say that these are representations of Christ. The the conquering Christ with the red horse and the blood that would be splattered all over that horse. The sorrel horse, which is the two-toned speckle horse, which would be the double-edged sword of the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And then, of course, the white horse is the Revelation 19 triumphant Christ. And we see that here in these visions. And so these horses, Myrtle Tree being Israel, there in the Kidron Valley, and now he sees these horses and he says, he engages in the vision, my Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I'll show you what they are. Because We are following the revelation of the vision, a question of the vision, and then an answer to the question. The vision who stood among, and the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones from whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. 
So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth's earth is resting quietly. The horse has found the world at peace, but Jerusalem is in a pitiful place. Now this peace, it provides the opportunity for the children of Israel to build the temple. The world's at peace. We're not at war. So you can get to work. But this peace also provoked frustration in the people that had returned. Because they're looking at the people around the world, and they're in absolute peace, but they're in such a pitiful place. Why do the wicked prosper, was what was going on in their hearts. So the angel of the Lord, verse 12, answered and said, O Lord of hosts. Now look at this angel of the Lord. We defined who he was. He's Jesus. We went to Zechariah chapter 3, and I proved this is the pre-incarnate Christ. He was always wanting to be with people because he loves people. And so he had these moments in the Old Testament where he would show up and he would just be with the people. He was with Abraham. He now is with Zechariah. So the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, look at what Jesus does. He intercedes. How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? How long, O Lord? And we see Jesus interceding for God's people as we still see him doing it for us today. Interceding on our behalf. You remember he looked at Simon and he said to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, but I am praying for you. What a place of peace we can be that God is in prayer for us. The Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. In other words, you all have been building your your own houses. You've left my work in vain. I'm jealous for you. I want you to want what I want for you. I don't want you to want what you want for you. My plan is the best plan. My plan is good. My plan is perfect. My plan is pleasing. I'm jealous for you to do what I'm calling you to do because it's the best thing for you. And I'm exceedingly angry, verse 15, With the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. And God used the nation of Babylon to discipline the children of Israel and carry them off into 70 years of exile. But the problem was the Babylonians wanted the Jews done and dead. They had nothing but evil intent, and God knew that. And we're going to see in the second vision what God does with the nations that overstepped their bounds because God has given us a free will. And let me tell you something about your free will. God has a perfect and pleasing plan for you, but he will let you walk away from it because he is a God that has given us a free will to make the choice that you would like to make. That's why Jude would say, keep yourself in the love of God. Make the best decision and always default go God's way. Amen? So let me speak to the young people. Missionary dating is illegal. Amen? (laughs) Amen? 
Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So why would you think that this would turn out? God's plan, he's jealous for you, not of you. He's jealous that you will follow his way because his way is the best way. These nations, they went their own way. And the second vision is going to describe what God will do with those nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm returning Jerusalem with mercy. My house, or the temple, shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. In other words, I'm sending a contractor in to rebuild Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again spread out through the pros- through prosperity, the Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. There we have the third vision. The second vision deals with the nations that wanted Israel destroyed. The third vision deals with the fact that God is going to rebuild the nation of Israel. God is going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, these are the comforting words. And he's motivating the children of Israel. you got a part to play in the kingdom. And your part is to rebuild the temple. That's my call for you. You've got a small part to rebuild God's temple. Let me give you an example. In May 14, on May 14, 1948, Israel was reformed as a nation after 20 centuries of being dispersed among the nations. They are the only nation in the world that having had lost their land, they reformed and regrouped. And let me tell you why. Because God said they would. And when they started their nation, there was only 657,000 people in the nation of Israel on May 14th, 1948. And let me tell you what those Jewish people did. They went to work. They were the pioneers who poured the foundation of the nation. Many of them were not farmers, nor many of them were they, uh, 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 had any kind of ingenuity. Many of them were just going back to Israel, but they went to work as pioneers. So much so that from 1948 to 2022, the nation boasts over 16 million Jews. And if you go to Israel today because of those pioneers back in 1948, you will see one of the most developed countries in the world. But if it wasn't for those pioneers getting to work and playing their part, the nation would not be where it is today. In the same way, God has a plan for the Jews. And those Jews who returned had a part to play. And their part was to build the temple and rebuild the city because Messiah was coming. Turn with me, if you will, real quick to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I want you to see something. Rejoice greatly, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now go back with me if you would. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. If these pioneers didn't get to work and rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem... This prophecy of Jesus coming walking down uh, 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 so many hundreds of years later would never have been fulfilled. 
You see, they had a part to play for the coming Messiah. Their part was to begin building. And no matter what part we play in God's kingdom, it's the part that God has given you. And that part is the most important thing that you can do to be a part of God's great plan. How thankful am I that these pioneers in Zechariah chapter 1, they took the initiative that God gave them and they started rebuilding Jerusalem because Messiah was going to walk down those streets that they pioneered. Turn back with me to Zechariah chapter 1. I am sure at this point, the Jewish nation, they're asking themselves, how can this be? How can we rebuild Jerusalem? How can we rebuild the temple? We started, and all of the nations and the people around us, they came against us. That's why we stopped. We're afraid. How can we build this if the nations are going to destroy us? Second vision of the first. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. Now, we discussed that. Then I raise my eyes means he's still in the first vision. It's a second part of the first vision. I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. Horns representing world authorities. Daniel talks about them as well. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? So he answered, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? So he said, these are the horns that scatter Judah. So the horns are the craftsmen. So that no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. God wants the nation to know. The Gentile nations that are dominating you will not destroy you, but they will destroy themselves by themselves. The horns are the very craftsmen that will cut the horn off. The horn being the world power and the horn being the craftsmen. And so what he's saying is, in the first vision, we learned that these nations, they went too far. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, they all wanted to destroy the Jews. And the Jews knew that. That's why they were hesitating building the temple. And so God says, let me tell you something. I know they have evil intent. I know they want to destroy you. But I need to remind you of something, Israel. You cannot be destroyed because I have a prophetic plan for you. So get to work. I've got a prophetic plan for you. You see, there's a prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. And unfortunate for them... There is only one way that God is going to be able to get their attention. It's Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of, take a look, Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. We are living in what we know as the age of grace. It's called the church age. We've been given a dispensation of grace. And so we are forgiven of our sin simply as we come to Jesus. Because as Gentiles, we understand grace. But I need you to go back all the way to the book of Judges in your mind. How did God get the Jewish person's attention? Disease, 
pestilence, famine, plague, and war. And every time the Jewish nation would go astray, what would God do? He would raise up a judge to help solve the problem, raise up a leader, that was a judge, to help solve the problem of disease, pestilence, famine, plague, or war. And so every time the Moabites or every time the Philistines would come up against them and overpower them, the children of Israel would cry out to the Lord. They would repent of their sins and they would say, Oh God, thus and therefore the Jewish greeting is shalom, peace. Peace with God, peace with man. Jacob's trouble told you we're living in the age of grace. But there is going to be a time when this age of grace comes to an end. The church will be raptured, and the seven-year tribulation will begin. We understand it in full as we've studied the book of Revelation. And we see the wrath of God being poured out in disease, pestilence, famine, plague, and war. What is God doing over seven years of tribulation, trying to get the Jewish nation to repent. He is using the tribulation to wake them up that he alone is God. You see, let me help you understand. Ever since Israel has been started as a nation, the world has been against it. It doesn't seem like this little tiny, it's no bigger, I mean, it's smaller than New Jersey. And this tiny little nation is in the news all of the time. And the entire world is always coming against the Jewish nation. And that's why we want to be a nation that supports Israel. Because the Bible says, if you bless a Jew, God will bless you. Now that is a paraphrase of Genesis chapter 12. Israel has always been hated by the people it surrounds because the enemy hates Israel. Because it's God's chosen people. Let me give you an example. Do you remember when Israel was formed as a nation in 1948? Do you remember the Six-Day War in 1967? When all of the surrounding nations attacked thinking that they could conquer Israel? Do you remember in 1973 the Yom Kippur War? When those same nations thought they could gain back the land that they lost and they invaded Israel again? And in both instances, God supernaturally intervenes And the nation of Israel, the tiny, new, little nation of Israel, conquers all the nations that are around them. You see, I need to help you explain, help you understand. Though the world has been against Israel, God is for Israel. And God has a prophetic plan for Israel. And though the nations have wanted to destroy Israel, can I remind you, Assyria is no longer. Can I remind you, Babylon is no longer. The Persian Empire is no longer. The Greek Empire is no longer. And the Roman Empire is no longer. Because God cut the head of the, cut the horn off with each succeeding empire. So, the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians. The Persians were defeated by the Greeks. And the Greeks were defeated by the Romans. And so we see the craftsmen, who are the horns, come in and cut the head off. And look at the nation of Israel. There they are, 1948, reformed as a nation. Is anyone surprised? No. 
Because God said that the dry bones would live. In Ezekiel chapter 37, you'll see it on the screen. Ezekiel says, long before any of these events, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now, I want you to keep that phrase in your mind, because this is basically saying that the nation of Israel, the bones would come back together, but there would be no breath in them. In other words, there was no ruach. There was no spirit of God that was poured into them. This is what we call the gathering of Israel in unbelief. We're experiencing it today. 16 million Jews have returned to Israel, but they don't necessarily believe in Jesus as a nation. Now, here's the next event that we're waiting for. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 38 that Russia and the existing Muslim nations that surround Israel will invade Israel from the north. We are waiting for that. It's Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 8 and 11. After many days you'll be visited. In the latter years, so thus we know we're in the latter days, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. And so we know that they're dwelling safely. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Israel lives in Ezekiel 38 today. They're busting out of the seams in prosperity. Do you know ways, the app ways? Do you know where it comes from? Israel. Do you know where Europe gets most of its fruits and vegetables? From Israel. Do you know where most of our technology comes from? It comes from Israel. They are prospering tremendously as a nation, and we are simply waiting for the armies of the north to invade Israel. Now, scholars debate whether that will happen now or after the rapture, but then an event will happen. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, you'll see it on the screen. Then he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, I know that's a lot of D words, but just stay with me for just a moment. He shall confirm a covenant with many, speaking of the children of Israel, for one week. How can you confirm a covenant with a nation that doesn't exist? You see, the nation will exist. And there's going to be a war that requires a peace treaty. And that peace treaty is going to be driven up by the man who is the Antichrist. And he is going to come up with this great Arab-Israeli peace plan. Better than the Oslo Accords. And everyone's going to go, wow, this guy is unbelievable. He should rule the whole world. Well, there's got to be a nation of Israel in order for that to happen. I just wanted to hear what she had to say. And then at the end of seven years, the entire world 
in hatred to Israel will rally around coming up from the Tigris and Euphrates River and they will attack Israel. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2, take a look what will happen at that moment. At the end of the seven years, the entire world is still in hatred against Israel. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. In order for Jerusalem to be there, it's got to be there. The city shall be taken, the house is rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The Bible goes on to say that at the end of the seven-year tribulation, when this is happening and all the nations come against Israel, Jesus will show up, put one foot on the side of the Mount of Olives, the other foot of the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split. He will walk into Jerusalem and be the rider on a red horse that will bring victory for the nation of Israel. Well, the nation's got to exist in order for this to happen. And here is what God is telling the children of Israel in this second vision. I'm in sovereign control. I know what's going on. And I want you to build this temple. And there is no ruling power that is going to destroy you because I am in control and I have a prophetic plan for you that stretches into the forever. God said it. So God is letting them know, despite what you see around you, I'm in control. Do the work that I've called you to do. But Jerusalem's in ruins. There's trees growing up in houses. They've been gone for 70 years. There's less than 50,000 people. How will Jerusalem be rebuilt? We go into our third vision. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1. Then I raised my eyes and looked. So we're still a part of the first vision. Remember, This first vision attaches to verse 17 of chapter 1, okay? So, my city shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. So, now in chapter 2, verse 1, then I raised my eyes and looked and behold. Third vision, he is building his kingdom his way. He's going to build his kingdom his way. I looked and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand, so a contractor. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is width and what is length. In other words, I'm getting ready to build Jerusalem. And there was the angel who talked, and there was the angel who talked with me going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to this young man. We talked about this last week. God wanted to quickly encourage the children of Israel. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Jesus makes it very clear to Zechariah, I am going to rebuild Jerusalem. I am going to rebuild the nation of Israel. Would you go with me over to Zechariah chapter 6? Just go over a couple of pages. Zechariah chapter 6. Would you take a look at verse 12? Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he 
shall build the temple of the Lord. Jesus is going to rebuild Jerusalem. Jesus is going to rebuild the nation of Israel. We can see it today. God's word is true. The people that were hearing this for the first time would have never believed it. There were trees growing up in their houses. There were deer running through the streets. They never would have believed this. But Zechariah says, I will rebuild it. Now let me tell you something. You know what else Jesus says? I will build my church. That's what Jesus does. He's in the contract, he's in the construction business. And you can be confident of this, that he who began the construction project called Jetlo, he will complete it. Because he is the perfect contractor. He knows exactly how to build, and he's also building you. Jesus is going to build. But I need you to see something. This is not just a message for the people of this time. Remember, there's a also, in prophecy, they only saw mountain peaks. So there in verse 5, we catapult into the prophetic future. Look what he says. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. We've already discovered that Jesus is going to supernaturally protect the nation. When the nation of Israel is surrounded by the armies of the world, Jesus will return in his second coming. The Mount of Olives will split and he will defeat the nations. Jesus will surround Jerusalem like a fire. But as well, take a look. I will be the glory in the midst. I'll be the glory in the midst. Well, there's a truth that's found in Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 1, 21, we recognize that the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, there will be no need for a son because of the glory of the Lord. But Jesus is communicating here something to Zechariah that he's going to be the glory in the midst. In the midst. Zechariah is telling us about the future temple that is going to be rebuilt. The third temple where Jesus is going to rule and reign, and King David is going to be his viceroy or vice president that will be ruling the nation of Israel. Because David was given a promise that he would rule forever. Jesus will rule. David will be by his side. This is the beginning of the thousand-year reign when the temple will be rebuilt. The temple be rebuilt. Well, if I go to Israel now, it's just a flat piece of ground. I mean, how can the temple be rebuilt? I mean, it's controlled by Muslims. It's controlled by the Jews. I mean, it's so tense. Even when you go to Israel today, what in the world? How is this going to happen that the nation of Israel is going to be able to build the temple again? I'll tell you how. Matthew chapter 24, take a look at the screen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Therefore, When you see the abomination of desolation, so the Antichrist, when you see him spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. This holy place is the temple. And the Bible tells us that he is going to sit in the temple of God and tell people to worship him. That is the abomination of desolation. 
In three and a half years, within the seven-year tribulation, he has had it, and he's now telling the world, worship me, I am God. That is the abomination of desolation. Well, the only way that he can go into a temple and sit in the throne of God is that there is a temple. And Jesus is making it very clear, there will be a temple rebuilt. It's exactly what Zechariah is saying, but we got a problem. If the Antichrist sits on the throne of God in the temple, the temple is now defiled. So for three and a half years, he sits on the temple, okay, everybody worship me, I'm God. Now, how, I don't know how a human being could ever think to themselves, outside of they are the very essence of the fact that he's possessed by the devil, who has always wanted to be worshipped. And he says, everybody worships me. And they worship him for three and a half years. And if you don't worship him, and you don't take the mark of the beast, guess what? You're out of here. Okay? So there he sits for three and a half years. And the world is to worship the Antichrist. That's what's happening in the temple of God. Well, that defiles the temple. So what do we do? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. God's already solved that problem. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel sees something so profound that explains and answers what God is going to do with this defilement. You'll see a screen, you'll see a slide go up, and I'm going to have it go up as I read this text. Take a look, if you would, Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, so that's at the three and a half year mark, okay, where the the Antichrist sits on the throne of God, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there it is, that the abomination of desolation is just a theological way, God's way of saying the Antichrist sits on the throne of God and pretends that he's God. There shall be 1,290 days, so three and a half years. Uh, yeah, uh, blessed, excuse me, um, one, sorry, 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Okay. Okay, what is all this? Take a look at the screen. I'm going to help you understand. There's seven years of tribulation. Three and a half years called the tribulation. Three and a half years called the great tribulation. That makes up seven years. Now remember, the Bible's a Jewish book. It is not an American book. So the Bible does not have 365-day years. It has 360-day years because the Jews go by a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So keep that in mind. So the, the three, 1,260 days is three and a half years on a lunar calendar. That is the second portion. Then Daniel says there'll be 1,290 days, and then he will says there'll be 1,335 days. Well, if you, for homework, read Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us what happens. 
In Matthew chapter 25, we discover that the 30 days between the end of the seven-year tribulation and the next 30 days, 1,290, we have the judgment of the nations, the separation of the sheep and the goats, 30 days. Then, 1,335 days, so we're adding another 45 days, This, Ezekiel speaks about in chapter 20, that is the purification of the temple. So what Daniel is letting us know is that don't worry about the temple being defiled by the Antichrist. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of that temple because it is going to be purified after the seven-year tribulation. A church, God's got this whole thing planned out. And he's letting Zechariah know the history of the entire world, which revolves around the nation of Israel. Now take a look what God then tells the nation. Go back with me to Zechariah. Zechariah, and let's just finish this up. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. Up, up! Flee from the land of the north. In other words, get out of Babylon. You've got a job to do, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven. So we see them, the first, in this verse, we see two different eras. Get out of Babylon and come back. you got a job to do. But they were only in Babylon. But then he says, I'm going to spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven. In other words, this is after the Roman dispersion. And so God is going to bring them back from around the world, not just from Babylon. We're living in that today where he's bringing 16 million Jews back to the nation of Israel. God is fulfilling his word. Going on, the Bible says, Up, Zion, escape you who dwell within the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Now give me your attention for just a moment. We see here a picture of the Trinity. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me. The Father has sent the Son to plunder. This is the second coming of Christ. This is when He will defeat the nations who have raged against Israel. And he will conquer those nations and be victorious. And let me tell you why. You have touched the apple of God's eye. And you know what the apple of God's eye is? It's your pupil. Go ahead. Touch your pupil. Take your pen and go ahead and touch your pupil. Go ahead. I want everyone to do it. It's a little exercise. Just go right in your pupil. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Do you know that your pupil is the most sensitive part of your body? And the nations, they've been poking at God's pupil. That's what he relates it to. And I'm going to deal with you. And God the Father sends his son, go and be victorious against the nations that have wanted to destroy the apple of my eye. Now look what Jesus does, verse 9. For surely I will shake my hand against them. How many of you had a mom that went like this? You'd better not do that again. Anyone have a a no, 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 you naughty little boy? Anyone? No? My mother never did that. She's sitting right over here. She never, ever would do that to me. 
Anyone? <laughs> People are pointing at their moms. <laughs> For surely I will shake my hand against them. Do you remember what Haggai said? I will shake them. Jesus is going to Jesus is prophetically fulfilling and he says this and and they shall become spoiled for their servants they then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me they touch the apple of my eye and here's what happens I'm going to go according to Zechariah chapter 14 and I'm going to destroy those nations that have touched the apple of my eye at the end of that seven-year tribulation and then you will know, you'll know me. Because the Bible tells us, would you go with me to Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10? Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. The Bible tells us something powerful here. Zechariah chapter 12 Verse 10, and I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn or repent for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. When Jesus shows up and delivers the nation, from the nations that have come against them. When he delivers Israel, the Jews are going to see Jesus. He's going to pour out a revival, and the Bible promises that all of those Jews are going to believe on Jesus Christ. Then they will know him. There will be a national revival in Israel. I believe we're experiencing that here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. A spirit of grace. And every Sunday that I give the gospel, we see people come forward. That I'm not such a great teacher. That's just the spirit of God. He's being poured out on our church. And we're watching people's lives change and transformed. This has nothing to do with Chet Lowe. It has everything to do with what Jesus wants to accomplish in L.A. That's what's going on. He's poured out a spirit of grace. Amen? Amen. Sing. And rejoice, O daughter of Zion. What happens when someone gets saved? They're weeping. They're so happy. They're rejoicing. I'll meet them out in the lobby when someone gets saved. I just feel so good. I feel so relieved. I feel so, I don't know what I feel, but I just feel great. And I can't wait to go tell someone about Jesus. I love when they come out of the prayer room and meet me over here because they're so excited about what God has done in their heart. For behold, he said, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. In other words, the Abrahamic covenant is going to be fulfilled. Many nations are blessed because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will worship him for a thousand years in his reign. And in that day, they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand, we call it the holy land not because it's so holy. Like, if you go to Israel now, the Jewish people are not doing a great job with holiness. Okay, so we're not calling it a holy land because the people are holy or the place is holy. 
We call it the Holy Land because that is the place that Jesus will rule and reign. And because Jesus will rule and reign there, we refer to it as the Holy Land. Now take a look at this, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. My sister and I would get into arguments. I was famous for pulling her hair. That's why I'm such a believer in Jesus. If I was to announce to you that I was the Messiah, my sister would go online on Instagram and let all of you know everything that I'd ever done to her. For James to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the brother of Jesus, I'm a sole believer. I, I mean, because James, don't, you don't have any dirt on Jesus? Like, you believe he's God? Well, I believe he's God because you believe he's God because if I had to say I'm God, my sister would definitely tell on me. Well, I remember one time I'd pull my sister's hair. She screamed, and I'm just pulling. And we're right in front of my dad. And you know what my dad did? He was sitting his lazy boy. And you know what my dad did? He got up. My sister and I felt the fear of God descend on us. The room was silent because my dad was about to instill some discipline on my backside. (laughs) Can you imagine in heaven when God says, I've had enough? Do you know what the Bible says? John John records this. In the book of Revelation, John actually records this in Revelation, and he says all of heaven went silent for a half hour. God stood up. I'm going to deal with the nations. Israel, I've got your back. But Israel says, we ain't so great. Like, we know what we've done. I mean, how could you use us? How could we be a part of what you want to accomplish, God? I mean, we know what we've done. Like, we offered our children to Molech. We actually took our babies, and we laid them in burning arms. And we watched them fry. Like, we worshipped Molech, Baal. Like, we had temple prostitutes in Israel, like... We weren't great. Are you sure? I mean, you disciplined us. Like, you, you sent us to Babylon. Like, are you really with us? Because, like, it don't feel it. Like, it feels like the nations are against us. It feels like, I mean, it just doesn't feel like you're with us. I mean, I got a tree growing up in my house that I had 70 years ago. The temple is completely flat. You want us to rebuild everything. There's people against us, and we know what we've done. Like, I don't know if you could use us. Zechariah has another vision. Take a look. Chapter 3, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. I remember Joshua had gone back with Zerubbabel, standing before the angel of the Lord, Jesus. So the judge is Jesus. And Satan, oh, standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, 
The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua is clothed with filthy garments, standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity. In other words, you repented, and I've removed your iniquity. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. When Zechariah had this vision, it was most likely like one of the people that come out of that prayer room and meet me out in that lobby. He forgave me. I know what I've done. I know what I've been a part of. I had a young woman come up to me just this week. I had an abortion. Can God forgive me? And I prayed with her, and you could see just her face relieved as God began to remove the filth and put robes of righteousness upon her. This is what's happening. Isn't it great? Joshua comes before in filthy. Now this, he's covered in, he rolled around. Well, you know when you step on something and you get into your car and you smell and you're like, ooh, that smells, oh. He's covered in dog, mm mm-hmm. And he's in front of Jesus, the judge. And Satan's right there, the accuser, according to Revelation chapter 12. You know what he's done. You know what they've done. You know what they've done. You know what they did this. You know they did this. You know they did this. You better condemn them. You better destroy them. You could never use them again. He's the accuser. That's what he does. Then all of a sudden, Jesus flips his role. No longer is he the judge. He's the defense attorney. And he speaks into Satan's accusations. You see, Joshua ain't got nothing to say. He knows he's guilty. The only thing Joshua can do is repent. I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been tempted to sin? You fell, and then the the devil comes across and he goes, you filthy dog. Don't raise your hand. Now, if it was just yesterday, I would like you to raise your hand. Go ahead. I'm kidding. That's what he does. You could never be used by God. You know what you've done. That's what Satan does. And all of a sudden, you go to God. Father, forgive me. Because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then all of a sudden, we feel that we should burn in hell. And we're the firebrand. We're the little piece of stick that's already on fire. And it's just about to be thrown into the fire. And Jesus grabs it, douses it in water, and goes, I saved it. I saved it. It won't burn. Because I'm Jesus. And I know you're guilty. I know you've confessed, but I redeem. And despite your failure, Israel, 
I can still use you. So he covers them in a high priest robe and a high priest turban. And he said, turban, he says to Joshua, I know the guilt. I know you're guilty. But because you've confessed your sin, I've forgiven you. I've redeemed you. Now get back to work and do what I've called you to do. So church, listen. God's the God of the second chances. You have a part in God's plan. Whatever part it is, you have a part. Every single one of you. God is in control of the plan despite what you see. Just choose to live by faith. Just do what God has called you to do. Because he's building his kingdom his way. It's just what he's going to do. And he will use you despite your failures because he's the God of the second chances. So if you failed, confess and get back to work. Because God is telling Zechariah, I got a plan for the nation of Israel. And God is telling you, I have a plan for you. It's a good one. It's a pleasing one. It's a perfect one. Follow me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word and the hope that you gave this nation that despite their failure, you can use them. And so my prayer tonight is that you would fill us with your redemption. And Lord, if we've made mistakes and we feel that we cannot be used, that we would be reminded of Joshua. That as we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the quietness of your heart, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Today's your, if you're the prodigal that needs to come home, even if you're online listening. God's the God of the second chances. He wants to cleanse you. If you're the prodigal that needs to come home, would you just in a prayerful way just lift up your hand and say, yep, made some mistakes. I need God's redemption. Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I see you. Pray for me. Yeah, man, I see you. Is there anyone else that says, I'm the prodigal? Amen. Amen, I see you. I see you. Just want to give it another moment. Yes, I see you. I'm the prodigal and I want to come home. I want God to use me. I want to start building his church. So Lord, with every hand that's raised, the humility of surrender, would you speak to them this truth? You got a plan for their life. And with their confession. You are clothing them with righteousness. You're putting them and reinstating them, just like you did, Peter, right back into service. Thank you for paying the price so we don't have to. Thank you for picking us out of the fire so we didn't burn up. Thank you for being our judge, our jury, and our defender. Protect us from the enemy. 
Because his punishment is that we die. He just wants to kill and steal and destroy. But your plan is one of restoration and redemption, one of hope. And as long as we have breath, you're calling us, jealous for us, because you have a plan. Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.